Google and Apple already have my fingerprints, and because of my brief flirtation with the Pixel 4 phone, Google also has a scan of my face. But do I really want Amazon having my palm print to make concessions at TQL Stadium just a little bit quicker? In other news, remember when restaurants Royce and Pearl Star abruptly closed in February? One of those spaces is getting new life. This is Above the Fold. Welcome to Above the Fold, the podcast by the Cincinnati Business Courier. I'm your host, Andy Brownfield, joined by co-host Tom Nemeropoulos. Welcome, Tom. Hi, Andy. Happy to be here. So we've been hearing a lot about artificial intelligence or AI, especially ChatGPT. Now, I'm a huge Google fanboy. I've been using Google Phone since the Pixel 1 debuted in 2016, and I've got a bunch of Google smart home devices in my house. But the search giant just integrated its own version of ChatGPT, which it calls BARD, into Google Docs. And I use Google Docs to write our podcast scripts. So I asked BARD if it was ethical for me to use it to write a script for my podcast, and BARD said, quote, we're still learning and can't help with that. Try another request. Score, Andy 1, AI 0. Yes, another week. We are still in control. <laughs> so speaking of scary advances in technology, you may remember from a few years back, Amazon designing a store where you could walk in, pick up whatever you like, and leave without having to stop through checkout or pay for your goods. Now, FC Cincinnati is rolling out that technology in its newest concession area of TQL Stadium. Yes, this is the type of technology you kind of thought at one point would never happen. It was one of those future tech things that you would see on a TV show. But I, I am really happy about this because this is an opportunity to take away a pain point at stadiums, which is waiting in line. Uh, I don't want to miss the action on the field. Yeah, and, and you know, as a former cashier at Kroger, I can tell you definitively that the point of payment is the biggest bottleneck in that whole process. When I shop for groceries now, if I see a, a line with one person who's got a full cart full to the brim of items or a line that's got five people with small baskets, I'll go into the one because checking out those five people, getting them to pull out their credit cards, enter in their PIN numbers, pay for everything, that's going to take way longer than scanning 50 items. Yes. So this Amazon Just Walkout technology is coming to the supermarket thinking of Super Mario. It's coming to the Superbook Marketplace in TQL Stadium, which offers things like La Rosa's Pizza, chicken sandwiches, beer, seltzers, canned cocktails, soft drinks, popcorn, cotton candy. And how it works is like, you, you go in, you put your credit card into a machine, it creates a profile, I guess it kind of logs you in, and then you can walk around and just take things off the shelf and leave with them. Well, I mean, first you gotta stick your credit card back in to say like, hey, I'm checking out. But the technology that Amazon has will, will kind of keep track of what you take off the shelves and if you put it back on. So it's, it's, you know, it's pretty seamless. Yeah, so you're not getting charged if you like look at the calorie count on your uh, White Claw hard seltzer and then put it back and then decide to pick up a truth instead. <laughs> Forget <laughs> calories. <laughs> See, my, my journey is typically the opposite of that. So if you're pre-enrolled through Amazon One, you can scan your palm which is kind of weird to me because I guess your palm, kind of just like your fingerprint, is its own unique little universe there. But it's, I don't know, that it, it just feels a little beyond the pale to have Amazon know my palm print. You know, Andy, I'm at the point where so much is known about me by so many companies. What's, what's having my palm print too? I guess there's that. So I remember like in college seeing these shows about weird technology and there was one where a guy got an RFID chip about the size of a grain of rice 
implanted in the webbing between his thumb and forefinger, and he'd use it to like open doors. Like he had a special code programmed in here where he could wave his hand in front of a scanner in his front door and unlock it for him, which I feel like there are a lot easier ways to do that. So this is a partnership between FC Cincinnati and Levy Restaurants, its concession operator. And depending on how it does, it could be rolled out elsewhere. It's the first time that just walkout technology has been implemented in a sports stadium in Ohio. So you remember the saga of Royce and Pearlstar, right? I do. Nashville restaurateur Terry Raley and his Amaranth, Hosp- Amaranth Hospitality Group, they're pretty successful down there, but they tried to come up to Cincinnati in 2021 and uh, it didn't, didn't go so well for him. Pearl Star opened first in 2021 in the former Atavala space on Vine Street, and it, was a, it had a focus on seafood with oysters and a raw bar, and this massive outdoor area that was just as large as the indoor dining room with bocce courts, a wood-fired grill, and a wood-burning oven. And then Royce was second. It opened the following year, the French Brasserie, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, in the Foundry, which is 3CDC's reimagining of Fountain Place Mall, the former Macy's. And both of those places just kind of closed suddenly in February. And they're prominent spaces, too. I mean, especially the one in the Foundry. That's just, it's right there at maybe arguably the most prominent corner in downtown Cincinnati. So Pearl Star's getting new life. It's the first to be released, and it's going to some proven operators. Tom Steven and Garth Lieb, they first opened Liberty's Bar and Bottle, a craft beer and wine bar on Main Street in 2014. And... Fun fact, the place where I shared my first kiss with my now-wife, Hannah. How about that? (laughs) They also opened up the Pony across the street in 2017, and that place has one of the best cheesesteaks I've ever had in Cincinnati. So they haven't decided on a name for this new concept yet, but it is going to share the oyster focus of Pearl Star and have a menu of small plates and and shareable dishes as well, with an extensive sparkling and rosé wine selection. Yeah, I've got to wonder what the uh, emphasis is on, you know, keeping oysters. I wonder if they saw success. You know, Pearlstar arguably was doing well before closing. I think the, you know, the operator that ended up closing up here, it wasn't a Pearlstar problem, but overall operational problem, it seems like. Yeah, uh, you know, that... I think maybe someone at 3CDC just really wants an oyster bar just for the spot to get their oysters. Yeah, because you don't have Washington Courthouse uh, anymore serving up, having oyster fest like they used to. I never really saw the appeal of oysters. It's kind of just like eating briny-flavored snot to me. (laughs) So there really seems to be a unionization push nationally, hasn't there? Between the Amazon warehouses and Starbucks coffee shops, it seems like the pendulum has swung completely in the opposite direction. I know for a while there, there was this really big so-called right-to-work push where states would pass this legislation where you couldn't force workers to join a union in a union workplace. They, they would be represented by the union or subject to union contracts, but you couldn't force them to pay dues. Now it seems like everybody wants to join the union. Um, yes, there has been uh, quite the push nationally. And I think what we've seen across the country, Andy, is that as there has been less, uh, as unions have kind of lost membership and lost their kind of power to help with wages, I think there's been a correlation of people who have not been able to get raises kind of at the level that they think they should be getting them. So I think that's why you're seeing an interest in unionizing again is because that as unions have lost their power, the workers really haven't maintained the raises that they were getting. 
So Miami University is the latest to join this labor wave. On May 17th, the State Employment Relations Board tallied results from a faculty vote, which found that 450 of the voters voted in favor of joining a union and 241 voted against. So these results still need to be certified. It's going to take place in early June. But the union would cover 800 tenured and tenure track faculty, as well as teaching professors, clinical faculty, and lecturers. Strangely enough, though, they're going to hold a separate election for librarians. I have no idea why that would be, what the distinction is. Me either. Librarians are people, too. So the Miami faculty, they cited legislative threats to academic freedom and the tenure system that protects it as their main reason for wanting to unionize. And Miami is the second largest university in the Cincinnati region with 22,000 students. The University of Cincinnati, they also have a unionized workforce. They're part of the American Association of University Professors. So speaking, we're going to stick with, you know, the world of academia and colleges and universities for the next story. And I had to do a ton of research to even make sense of this. So I, I want the listener to, uh, you know, appreciate this. So, Tom, until probably today, I don't think I really knew what NIL meant. Andy, you haven't been reading your business career then because we've been covering this since it, uh, since the legislation was passed. Yeah, but you know, I, I, I wasn't an editor until about three weeks ago, so I didn't have to. <laughs> I only read my stories. So NIL, appropriately, stands for Name Image Likeness. And for decades, the NCAA had rules against college athletes being paid for endorsements, autographs, or for even playing. You couldn't offer student athletes a financial incentive for their participation in university sports, which makes sense because these are such great revenue drivers for universities, and you don't want that to be the kind of pay-to-play. Like, I don't know, Xavier could have the best football program because they can afford to pay the most, which, I don't know, as a private Jesuit university, if that'd be true, it's just, just an example that's top of mind. So in September of 2019, California passed the first NIL law in the nation, and it allowed students to be paid for the use of their names, images, and likenesses on things like apparel or trading cards or in endorsements for they could be appear in advertisements for local businesses. And the NCAA fought back pretty hard against that, but they were ultimately, I don't want to say crushed, but state after state after state passed these NIL laws to the point where there are 27 states with laws on the books and the NCAA kind of knuckled under and created a new interim policy that turned out to be a little more generous than some of these state laws. So a lot of that took effect on July 1st, 2021. And there's still no pay for play and you can't uh, use recruiting inducements to, to bring people into the fold, but now student athletes can make money. Yeah, it's a whole new world, Andy, in college athletics as a result of this. It's it's really changed the landscape of how universities can position themselves and, and talk about opportunities, really. And that's kind of the word now is, is opportunities. It's I mean, it's not direct payment to these players, but in, in a way it kind of gets to that point that uh, if you're a very good basketball player or if you're an up-and-coming you know, Olympic, you know, want to be an Olympic diver, there are companies that would like to use you as an, you know, to help them market their products uh, and their their services. So, I, I'm kind of in favor of it. I'm, you know, as a as a capitalist, I like the idea that uh, if you're good at something, you can you can be compensated for it. 
Yeah, uh, you like the idea, and so does Rheingeist, our largest brewery. They revealed a new partnership on May 16th with Cincy Reigns, a fundraising collective launched in November 2022 to help pool funds and use them to pay University of Cincinnati students for endorsements, sponsorships, sports camps, autograph signings, and other opportunities. So as part of this partnership between the brewery and Cincy Reigns, they released Cincy Light, Rheingeist's first ever light beer, which is starting to seem like an emerging trend. I mean, they're the second local brewery to have a, a light lager. And as part of this, the Rheingeist will donate $2 for every case sold or the equivalent of a case of beer to Cincy Reigns. And it's one of the first actions under new interim CEO Adam Bankovich. Yeah, this is... Uh this is interesting. It's, it makes sense. You know, Rheingeist has a relationship with the University of Cincinnati. It's a Cincy, it's a Cincy brand. Um, I'm actually curious to try Cincy Light, both as a UC grad, you know, to help out with, uh, with raising funds for, uh, for our athletics programs with, or for, you know, for the athletes, uh, but also just to try what uh, a good craft brewery can do in the uh, light beer space. Yeah, to me, so many light beers end up just tasting interchangeable, and if I do order one, it's based entirely on brand loyalty and what I want my choice of beer to say about me, like Miller High Life, the champagne of beers. I want I want people to think I'm a classy fellow drinking my light beer. <laughs> so it would be nice to have a local option on drafts. Um, but, you know, NIL can be quite lucrative for students. So Xavier University student-athletes have earned a combined $1 million dollars through NIL since July 2021. And that that seems like a, a staggering number to me. I feel the same way, Andy. Because, again, you know, Xavier doesn't have a football team currently. Um, so, you know, football is kind of the, the behemoth when it comes to advertising dollars right now. So, you know, the, these are athletes who are playing basketball, you know, swimming, golf, other, other sports. And to, to have that type of total uh, in less than a year is pretty incredible. It is, and so Steve Watkins wrote this story, and he reports that about 150 to 160 out of Xavier's 330 student-athletes have participated in NIL opportunities, and that includes things like apparel camps and clinics, like golfers giving lessons or baseball players offering youth camps, and even endorsements like TV commercials for local companies or, or trading cards. And I just did some quick math, if you heard my iPad blip-blopping in the background there. And if you divide $1 million by 150 students, that's close to $7,000 per student. So it's, I remember when I was in college, I would go back from, from Ohio University's absurdly long, like, seven-week winter break, and I'd work at Kroger the entire time. And that money, that meager money, would sustain me for the next semester. So... $7,000 back then would have felt like you know, a kingly amount. All right, so, Tom, did you go to Homecoming Festival in 2018? I did not. You're not a big fan of the National, are you? I, Andy, I've got to make a confession. I don't know if I could name one The National song. Really? Like, Blood Buzz Ohio, Fake Empire, Apartment nope. Story? Nope. I Should Live in Salt? I'm sorry. Oh, man. All right, so for all of our listeners who may be in the same boat as Tom Demeropoulos here, The National was, they're an indie rock band. They were formed in 1999 by a couple of uh, brothers from Cincinnati. So Bryce Dessner and his twin brother Aaron Dessner, they hooked up with Brian Devendorf and his brother Scott Devendorf. They make up the musical backbone of The National, and they're joined by 
singer Matt Berninger, a St. Xavier High School graduate, who has a, a classic baritone. And they all started playing music together while attending the University of Cincinnati before moving to Brooklyn. And their first couple of records didn't really produce many hits or much acclaim, but as of late, they've kind of become a huge group in the indie rock scene, even going as far as to partnering with musicians like Taylor Swift, who appeared in the most recent album. And now I do know Taylor Swift. (laughs) And who doesn't? She's delightful. So in 2018, they hosted what they called the Homecoming Festival, bringing really a smaller version of the Bunbury Music Festival to the Smale Riverfront Park in downtown Cincinnati. And it took place over two days. There were two stages, and it had about 10,000 people. And they had planned a 2020 edition, but unfortunately, as with everything in 2020, it was canceled due to COVID. So after five years, Homecoming's making a homecoming. Nice. (laughs) Coming to the Icon Festival stage at Smell Park on September 15th and 16th. So there's a a lineup. It's actually a smaller festival this year, just one stage instead of two, and a capacity of 8,000 instead of 10,000. But there's some pretty heavy hitters in there, like... Uh, Pavement, another indie rock band that I, I see a, not a flicker of recognition on your face, as I mentioned. You can hear the whooshing sound of these band names going over my head. And, well, I'm, I'm especially excited because The Drin, which is fronted by my brother-in-law, Dylan McCartney, who wrote the theme music for our podcast, is uh, playing on Saturday the 16th. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, so it's 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 a pretty big deal that this is coming back. I mean, it's, it's great also to see the Nationals show some love to their hometown. So our guest this week on Above the Fold is Phil Hurick. He's the managing shareholder of Clark Schaefer Consulting. Now, he earned his law degree with no intention of becoming a practicing lawyer, but because he viewed it as a practical tool to help him in his goal of becoming a better-rented business person. He's also an avid pickleball player, finding that it's better for networking than even golf. This is Phil on Above the Fold. This is different. Yeah. <laughs> you never done a podcast before? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, I, I, I started this in like October of last year, and I'd never done a podcast. I'd never recorded audio, except for like college. They taught us audio editing using Audacity at, at journalism school. I was like, this is never going to come in useful. And here, 20, not 20, 10 years later, it's like, oh. No, this this is familiar. Yeah, yeah. But speaking of school, I saw you got a, a, a law degree and you passed the Ohio bar. And then what what made you make the switch to accounting? Yeah, so I I, I graduated undergrad with a uh, uh, finance and accounting degree. I going to law school. I always knew I was a a business minded attorney. I was a, a entrepreneur. Uh, loved loved driving new services, helping, helping businesses. So I, all the way through law school, I, I always knew that it was not to become Phil the litigator. It was to uh, put another tool in my toolbox uh, as far as a business person. And certainly the law degree has done that. Uh, also, while in law school, I, I got my MBA, so did both at the same time. Hmm. So, so, yeah, yet another... Yet another tool in the toolbox to to become a, a better business advisor to clients. Was that difficult to do both kind of at the same time? Well, you know, it's it's all perspective. Sure, <laughs> I, uh, it, you know, it it just takes planning and scheduling and figuring it out. 
Funny, funny story there, though. I, I actually met my wife through, through that. So I, I thought, all right, this is going to be great. Everybody in law school is also going to want to get their MBA. <laughs> and so I ordered 10 pizzas, and I was going to do a lunch and learn for the whole law school because everybody was going to want to do this. And um, I, I reserve a room, and two people show up to my presentation one is my now wife, and the other was her roommate. Well, it turns out she was really in it for the free pizza, uh, but here, here we are, three kids, and, uh, you know, 20 years later. Wow. Yeah. So I need to know, did, did the three of you make it through all 10 pizzas? <laughs> no, I, I, I think we, uh, I, I think I handed her five, and, you know, it, it was love everlasting after that. I guess the more important question for Andy, who's an, an aficionado of Dayton pizzas, where were the pizzas from? Well, keep in mind, we we're poor law school students, and so uh, we went with the $5 hot and ready uh, from Little Caesars, we did not go the Marion's route. See, it's a divisive opinion, especially my wife, whenever I ask her, like, because Marion's the closest one's in Mason, and I will regularly, maybe once a month, if not once every other month, drive up to Mason to get a large deluxe pizza, no olives, or no mushrooms, excuse me, and then drive back, put it in the oven to reheat it, <laughs> and then just smash that Marion's. Every time I, I mention that, she's like, you know, we have saltine crackers at home. <laughs> well, I, I love it. And please let me know next time you do it. And uh, I will take a large pepperoni and sausage. The only problem is by the time I get home, half the pizza is gone. So <laughs> I, I'm not able to wait that long. So Dayton, going to getting your, your uh, degrees from Dayton, what what brought you down to Cincinnati? Sure. So, so really... It, it was where, it, as I looked, so I went from, from Columbus at Ohio State to, to Dayton, was really looking where the epicenter of, of business was mm-hmm. and, and where the most opportunity was. And had a number of opportunities down here in Cincinnati. And it, it, certainly in the business world, I, there's, there's great businesses in, in Dayton, and we have a lot of great clients up there. But on a on a sheer volume and and some of the size of companies, there just tended to be a lot more down here in Cincinnati. That's kind of Tom's story too. Tom started at her sister paper, the Dayton Business Journal, and then got lured down here. Yep, I was there for uh, two and a half years covering commercial real estate, retail, banking, and finance. And uh, I, but I commuted. I, I'm, I'm a you know born and raised West Sider, so I had to stay <laughs> in Cincinnati. Couldn't leave. So. Yeah. Well, certainly Dayton's had its uh, it's grown up. I, I grew up there, uh, but Dayton has seen its its I, I call it a revival over the last ten years. Uh, downtown, I, I went to high school downtown, and it's a it's amazing how that has changed. It's so different from when I was there in like oh eight oh eight oh nine and ten. It's just a very different city. Absolutely. So one of your first jobs was as paperboy, and it was it was in Inglewood, Inglewood Independent. That's yeah. right. Right. So, did did the did the paper give much much ink to uh, to Mark Brownfield, chief of police? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I, I I can't remember back in 1989 exactly <laughs> what uh, the the press was covering. I was more concerned about uh, uh, getting the papers out dry 
uh, and and to our customers on time. So. Yeah, uh, that's um, I don't I don't think he was chief of police back then. It's my my godfather, my uncle, <laughs> just recently retired as as chief of police up there. Awesome, awesome. So I know you're you're a big pickleball guy. How'd you get into that? So I, I, on the classic case of of pandemic, uh, looking for looking for something to do to exercise to socialize, and uh, had a had a couple buddies that that said, "Hey, we keep hearing about this. We keep seeing it. Let's let's go give it a try." It was about it was about two years ago, and I was bad. I, I, I mean, absolutely bad. I, I was out there getting my butt kicked by elder statesmen in the pickleball world, and uh, but but it was fun, and and it turned out it was great exercise. So we're we're burning six seven six hundred seven hundred calories an hour, and uh, started to get better. Started to get better, and then. You know, what's 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 funny is is we're talking a little bit earlier. Um, started to see in the business community a lot of uh, young professionals and 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 old uh, come out of the woodwork that hey, we play pickleball. You want to play pickleball? And instead of golf, or instead of going out for 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 five, six, seven hours on a golf course. We go out and play pickleball, and then for, for an hour and grab lunch. And uh, so it's it's interesting to see the convergence of of a fun sport, healthy healthy hobby, and the business world as uh, more and more professionals and are are taking up the game as <laughs> as we know as fastest growing sport in America. Yeah. So Phil, is there that same idea of being able to? get to know a person better through sport, like the way you do with golf. Like you can really tell a lot about a person by the way they play a game of golf, a round of golf. Is it the same with pickleball? Do you get to kind of pick up on, on different things you wouldn't necessarily see over coffee or at a, at a, you know, a lunch meeting? I, I think so. I, I, I think so. You, you see how they react to winning. You see how they react to losing. Certainly pickleball being a, uh, many times you play two versus two, right? So, yeah. Oftentimes you're you're switching partners and and you are you are a teammate with this individual one game and you're playing against them the next. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think you learn a lot about a person uh, through 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 pickleball and, and who who they really are as a person. So then I want to know what's the biggest red flag on the pickleball court that translates to business? Like if you see someone do something while playing pickleball, you're like, hmm, they, they this person's a shark. <laughs> Well, I, I think it. I think it would just be their 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 temperament around winning and losing, right? I, I mean, end of the day, um, you're 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 out there to to have fun, to learn, to uh, engage in healthy competition. It, it, you know, no, there's no trophies, there's no money, there's no. It, it's just it's just out there having having fun and and. You know, a, a, akin to throwing a golf club in a in a pond on a on a missed shot, uh, which I've never done, um, and certainly missed plenty of shots. Um, it, it's it's the same thing as slamming a pickleball racket down, right? I, I mean, we're we're out here to have fun, get a little exercise, and and engage in some healthy competition. Yeah, I I'm, I'm an overly competitive person, which I think is an asset in journalism, but probably a detriment in in playing most 
friendly sports because I, you know, I fence and I don't do tournaments because if I do a tournament and I fence poorly, it kind of ruins my entire weekend. It, it, it feels like it's a, a reflection on my own self-worth. Like, oh, I got knocked out in the first round of the tournament, so therefore I personally am bad. Luckily, the Northern Kentucky Fencing Academy, where they have most of these tournaments, is above a distillery. So <laughs> once Trouble. I get knocked out, yeah, I can just get under second sight spirits and be like, I did poorly. <laughs> Whiskey me. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I think, I think I need to seriously look at getting into pickleball because like, as we were talking about before we started recording, the Aces pickleball courts at the factory 52 within walking distance of my house. Absolutely. I, I, I uh, just played aces yesterday. Beautiful uh, addition here to to Cincinnati. Uh, I, there's 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 great there's great meeting space there. Uh, I I think we're going to see you know, it's this, this going trend of live work communities, and uh, I, I know there's a, another one up 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 north as well. Uh, indoor Westchester, right? Westchester, yeah, yeah. yeah I think there's second largest in the second country. largest indoor. <laughs> pickleball devoted pickleball facility in the nation yes yes and then, and then of course we have uh, uh the beautiful facilities down at, at sawyer point and, and the big investment that has been made there uh drawing i i and i believe in two weeks we've got a very large tournament coming here to to cincinnati uh so yeah look i i've been bitten by the bug uh it's it's cool i'd encourage everybody to try it even if you don't play ball sports, even if you're not the most athletic, uh, I, I call it the, the, the pickleball is a great equalizer. Uh, if, you can, if you can move your feet a little bit and be accurate with the ball uh, and, and come out with a good attitude, it's, you're, you're, you're bound to have a good time. So one, one interesting aspect of it is just kind of the weird aesthetic choices of it. It's kind of like, I don't know, I've seen – wild fashions associated with pickleball. There's a local company here called Sprints who's partnering with Vlasic Pickles to have like their stork motif on paddles. And then there's another Netty Pickleball that has like a lot sure. of retro Don Draper inspired. I think I would be more interested in kidding myself out in the fashion than I would be actually <laughs> playing the game. Well, uh, I'm not ashamed to admit I, I've I've spent my fair share of money on, on pickleball, but, but but it's been focused more on more on the paddles. I I I said to my wife, uh, yeah, she said, "Hey, once you go out and get yourself a new set of golf clubs," I said, ah, "I think I'd rather go buy a two hundred dollar pickleball paddle." <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so the the great folks up at uh, up at Tennis Point have a have a massive selection now. Now, now these are not your. Uh, it, it's not necessarily in for the the fashion it's more for the performance and yeah so i am the the, the proud owner of a very expensive pickleball paddle <laughs> so it sounds like with your dual interest in in law and getting an mba at the same time to kind of hone your business instincts that you, you had an idea of what you want to do with your career in mind sure I, absolutely and so so i i I entered the world of of business through through tax, and so I I kind of grew up as a as a state and local tax person, and uh, that that afforded me great opportunity to to see many different types of businesses across industries, 
across many different jurisdictions and, and how those businesses operate. How do they make money? What are their challenges? Uh, what what do they do to grow? And from from there, um, it, and you know, it, it wasn't all about tax. Certainly, I, I I'm a big believer that that. Uh, uh, all things, you know, any change, any business change, there's there is some there, there's some tax implication to it. So so knowing and understanding the business is is critically important to to drive you know, really good tax decisions for for businesses. Well, naturally, that that kind of steps into the the broader business consulting and business strategy and uh, you know other. Other components of of the business and and how can I be a even even broader better advisor to businesses uh, beyond beyond tax and so you know, that that while it started as while it started as tax and, and that that is my my technical fastball that that was just the springboard to the the many other areas of, of business advising now that that we're doing at Clark Schaefer Consulting, for example. Well, I'm curious as to what what you text in the first place because like like dentistry and apologies to dentists out there. Dennis Murphy, he's a fantastic guy, and I, I've been seeing him since I was a kid. Uh, it's like it's something that is is I think broadly viewed as unpleasant. It's something that most people look forward to not look forward to but see the deadline coming and they're like because uh, i i was in dc in 2013 and i had to file my taxes i just come from alabama so i was doing it in multiple jurisdictions and i plugged in my information to try by tax and i was like oh i'm gonna get eight hundred dollars back and i plugged in my information from dc it's like oh no i owe four hundred dollars no that's not right i'm just not gonna pay <laughs> well for for me it is the uh it's it's the game, right? Mm. And and it is the taxes, the, the the perfect culmination of 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 business, of of law, of of accounting, and and putting all those puzzle pieces together to ultimately minimize the tax. Right? It's it's that you know, there there is a often there is a good, better, best answer to the world of tax. So in in your example. Uh, maybe maybe that was right, but maybe there was some other filing position that you could mm. have taken to to uh, uh, minimize the tax. Now, I, I I would advise that if you owe tax to a jurisdiction, you should you should definitely pay that. My wife uh, told me that she wouldn't marry me until, <laughs> until I got street legal right, with the right, IRS. Right. <laughs> but uh, this is not tax advice, and I'm not your tax advisor. <laughs> but as a general rule of thumb, if you owe the tax, I would advise you to pay it. Absolutely. So it sounds like you were kind of attracted to the challenge of it, of viewing it as, as something, like you said, almost like a game. Sure. Well, and 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 to me, it's it's the 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 game of of legally using the the laws that our legislature has put in place to uh, pay the the correct amount of tax. Correct being the you know the the minimum amount of tax that. Is lawfully lawfully due, and you know, legislators have put a lot of of uh, uh, components in the tax code at the federal, the state, and local level to uh, encourage and incentivize businesses and individuals to do certain things, and they're in there for a reason. These are these are not these are not loopholes. These are these are laws, and 
you know, if you are within the law, taking advantage of them, that is that is the uh, that is part of the fun is is working with clients to um, help them understand and identify those so that they can minimize the tax. Now, what does minimizing the tax do? I I, I don't view it as just more money into the pockets of the owners to make make the owners you know, rich and happy. I I. Because I, I've personally seen it, it means investment in the company for new equipment. It means uh, investment in a new location. It means hiring more people. It means giving better better raises or bonuses and 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 providing promotion opportunities to people. So um, I I'm a big believer that uh, that that business owners know 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 best what to do with their their capital. And you know, the more we can put in their pockets, uh, I, I think the better. So as we record this in May, are things are, is your life significantly easier? Not easier, but calmer. <laughs> calmer. That's a good word. Well, it, it, you know, uh, over the past couple couple years, I've I, I'm I'm with the firm with with Clark Schaefer. I'm I'm wearing a number of different hats, and so. Uh, my my tax hat has has gotten smaller and smaller, and uh, I, I've shifted uh, leading Clark Schaefer Consulting uh, the the vast majority of my time to uh, uh, working with our with our great clients on the consulting side, and so uh, much less driven by by tax deadlines, uh, and and certainly uh, in 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 the tax world, focus much more on the corporate corporate side of the world as opposed to uh, a lot of people think tax they think just, just like you said they think popping into turbo tax doing my individual uh, I I think tax at, at a corporate standpoint I mean it's it's the corporate income tax the sales tax property tax uh, excise tax all, all of those weird corporate taxes that that are out there that's what I think of tax much mm-hmm. less driven by that uh, uh, April 15th deadline that's yeah. out there not stall tied to the calendar date. Right, right. Yeah. So, Phil, how much of your breakdown of your work is like working with clients versus helping like inside the firm? You know, working with others at at Clark Schaefer. Yeah that that's a that's a great question, and and it really varies week to week. Uh, there are you know, again, as I said, I mean, my my technical fastball is tax. My business fastball is driving and and leading teams to stand up new services to uh, identify uh, areas of help and need for our clients of 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 taking uh, change and and identifying ways to monetize it i, I i've i've got a uh, uh, former mentor that said you know good change bad change any change is good change because our, our clients need us in a in a time of change, in a time of change, you know, as as business consultants, it, it is it is our job to uh, seize the change, understand the impact to businesses and, and clients, and where you know, understand where we play in in that world of change. So. Uh, whether it's a, a legal or, or regulatory change, and a a client is not uh, set up to handle you know, what 
whatever requirements are, have, have come forth under that, that, that new regulation, how can we help them, A, understand it, B, uh, address it in the short term, and then C, put in place a sustainable uh, uh, program for them to address it in, in the long term and hopefully make improvements to the business along the way. That is where I spend the vast majority of my time you know, looking out over the next 3, 6, 12, 24 months and what, are, what, what changes are coming that we are going to need to react to because our clients are going to need to react to it. So, so more and more, that is where I'm spending my time as opposed to in some tax technical issue because, look, we've got really, really good people, uh, better than me, uh, to, to address a lot of that. Awesome. Well, Phil, thanks so much for being with us today. Absolutely. It was fun. This was fun. Thanks, guys. Above the Folds is a podcast by the Cincinnati Business Courier, hosted by me, Andy Brownfield, and Tom Demeropoulos. The podcast is produced and edited by me, and our theme music was written by Dylan McCartney. Come back next week for another edition of Above the Folds.